Welcome back to The Ryan Hanley Show. Today I have kind of a different format for you. It is the recording of a keynote that I gave to Robertson Ryan Associates in Milwaukee a couple weeks ago. And this is their this is their biannual producer event. So they fly in their 80 producers to have kind of business meetings and get some content and do some learning. And in this case, they had me in to keynote the event, and it was an absolutely tremendous show. Had so much fun with their producers and their staff and just everyone who was there. It was was a great time. It also was a transformative moment in my own speaking career. I did this entire presentation without any slides, no slides at all, just me and the audience, me and probably with all the staff and everyone that was there, close to 100 people. And it was absolutely phenomenal. I had so much fun and it was a growth experience for me as a speaker and just the way the audience responded, it was, it was just, it was tremendous. It was absolutely tremendous. Now, why did I do no slides? It actually comes out of an experience I had at OIA's event back in the fall. Uh, OIA did their annual convention and they, they had me come in and do two back-to-back 45-minute sessions that were the same thing so that their audience, their attendees could rotate sessions and see the different speakers. In this case, uh, the first 25 minutes of my first session, the AV just didn't work. Like they couldn't figure it out. And we got to be like two or three minutes behind and I hate running late as a speaker. You know, I think as a speaker's job, it's your it's your job to, to keep everything running on time as much as you can. Uh, you are responsible for the performance as much as the people who are putting on the event are. So I just said, screw it. We're gonna we're just gonna rock and roll without the slides. So I just went and did my thing, and uh, like I said, 25 minutes into a 45 minute presentation, the slides came back, and it just didn't really make sense to click through to them. So I essentially did the entire first session without any slides. Now the second session, everyone rotates and comes in. I got a whole another crowd, and it's great, and they're ready to go. Except this time, I just used my slides. I didn't think to not use them, and the AV was working at this point. So that's what I did: used my slides, did the thing. And in retrospect, you know, as I'm flying home, I'm thinking about the two, the two experiences, the engagement, feedback, the questions that I got from the first session, the session with no slides, was dramatically more. It just the audience was more into the presentation and I think part of that is that when you have slides up on 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 screen the audience looks at the slides and not you and they're dissecting the slides and thinking about the slides and I think them takes them out of what you're trying to say and so much of my presentation is like what's happening right now in insurance and marketing and sales and in our industry and uh, it's why I'm constantly changing my deck and I drive I drive um I drive event event people crazy because I hate to give my slide deck to them before like a couple days or even like a couple minutes before the presentation oftentimes because the night before I'm thinking through like what's going on how do I want to present this you know things get prioritized differently all that stuff and and we can do a whole episode on speaking if you're interested in that but I, the point was I had this tremendous experience and I felt like 
the Roberts and Ryan event was uh, a good format to test it out. It ended up being absolutely phenomenal, like I've said before. And uh, because there were no slides, I thought it would be fun to share it with you because I think so much of what I talked about and the questions that were asked uh, at Roberts and Ryan completely translate uh, to many of the things that you guys are dealing with. I mean, these are boots on the ground producers just like you are. And they they had a lot of phenomenal questions. So uh, we are we we mishmash the audio a little tiny bit. So the very beginning is cut off. I apologize for that. But where we come in, it makes complete sense. It's basically me telling uh, my origin story in the industry. You kind of catch it halfway into that story, so you miss about the first five or six minutes of the presentation, not a big deal. And then uh, you get the rest of it. So I hope you enjoy this. If you do, if you have questions, if you have feedback, uh, Ryan at agencynation.com. If you want me to come speak at your event, that's always a possibility. Ryan at agencynation.com or just connect with me on social, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. I love all those places. Happy to engage with you. And uh, so, yeah. So with that, we're going to get on to my keynote presentation at Roberts and Ryan Associates and the fantastic group of people that they were. All right. And I just didn't think that insurance was going to last. I wasn't selling a lot. I had to show up at sales meetings with no new sales for the week. And that's really tough to do, especially when you meet, uh, you meet every Monday and your father-in-law has written 17 accounts doing seemingly nothing. Uh, Mother-in-law has about 10 accounts, and you're like, well, I got this renter's policy from this kid that I went to college with. Uh, It just wasn't a good time for me. Um, So what I used to do, because again, during the day, you're prospecting commercial. That's what you do. Daytime is commercial prospecting. Nighttime is personal lines, cold calling. That's what we did. He handed me a phone book, people. I'm not even kidding you. He's like, they won't call the, they won't call the uh, do not call list. You just, just call them. Just start at L or something and just start calling. Um, so what I used to do during the day, uh, do you guys have chambers of commerce here? Is that a thing? Okay. And they all have like that $5 coffee where you go and you drink the crappy coffee with the same 12 people who have a big idea that are never actually going to do anything. So I used to know all the chambers of commerce in the open area. I would know when their coffee day was. So like Gilderland was Monday and Bethlehem was Tuesday. And the big one, the Albany Chamber of Commerce, I'm from upstate New York, by the way. So when I say big, I'm talking about like 20,000 people. Um, which actually, for most of you, that may be big. I don't know. This is Wisconsin. Uh, I'm from upstate New York. I got to have something. Um, so... One of those days, so I used to go and and spend time in these uh, Chamber of Commerce meetings. And that was me being out. I just waste time drinking crappy coffee, talking to the same people. Except uh, one day, uh, a real estate agent and a mortgage broker who I had wanted to meet. They were relatively young. Uh, They were up and coming in the area, doing good business. I had heard their names. I had seen them. I really wanted to meet them. And, And they happened to be at one of these events. And uh, it's funny, like even as we get older, things don't change. Like at these networking events, just like an eighth grade dance, like we all form a circle and talk to each other. Well, I elbow my way in and the mortgage broker says to the real estate agent, let's just connect on LinkedIn. And poof, they split. Now this is 2008. 
Some of you probably don't even know what LinkedIn is today. It's 2018. This is 10 years ago. So LinkedIn isn't even a thing. It's barely a thing, right? We know it's kind of like a business card online, but we don't really know anything about it. Very few people are using it. But when I heard this woman say uh, to the guy, let's just connect on LinkedIn. They didn't exchange business cards. They just said, let's just connect on LinkedIn. And poof. What if she had said that to me? I didn't have a LinkedIn. Despite my age, I have no predisposition to social media. I didn't even have a Facebook account until I knew I could sell insurance there. No, no idea, I had no LinkedIn. So I was terrified that she, what if she had said that to me? Because I would have had to do what I actually did was immediately leave that meeting, drive home and create one. And I spent the next 12 hours on LinkedIn trying to figure out why she would have said that. Why, I mean, this business cards were a thing back then. She could have easily just handed him her business card and said, give me a call uh, tomorrow and we'll set up a time to meet. But she didn't. They did not exchange business cards. She said, let's just meet on LinkedIn. There was a reason for that and I had to figure it out. And what I found over those 12 hours were that there were conversations about business in my local community happening on the internet that I was not a part of. Like people who were very successful having conversations about things, all kinds of things, operational things, sales things, marketing things, HR things, they were happening and I was not a part of them and I wanted to become a part of them. So I dove deep into LinkedIn and I realized probably the most important lesson certainly at that time I'd ever learned about business, certainly about marketing. And it was the creators win attention and all it's really about is attention, right? That's all we're trying to do. That's all you guys are trying to do. If you get someone's attention face-to-face -face in their office, over the phone, if you can get someone's attention, you can close that business. That's why you're in that room. Is that true? Is there anyone in this room who feels like if you can get a prospect's attention, you can't close them? You can't. You're not good enough. Does anyone feel that way? Chris, close your eyes. It's okay, okay. Keep, raise your hands now. No, you, of course you don't. You guys are killers. You're salespeople. It's what you're good at. But you can't sell someone if you don't have their attention. And that is the point that I learned. Is you, you mar Marketing is not about selling. Marketing is about getting people to give you their attention. And then once you have their attention, you do what you've always done as an insurance producer. You close the business. You build the relationships. You provide the value, the expertise. That's what it's really about. You still have to do all the things you've always had to do as an insurance producer. But over the next however many minutes we have left, <clears throat> talking about digital marketing, all I'm really talking about is a new method in which you attract people's attention. And when you think about it from that standpoint, it's not as scary. <coughs> it's not as scary as it may seem. If it seems scary to you at all, you may, you may think it's fine. Uh, I found it to be incredibly daunting creating content, coming up with new ideas. <coughs> and this is a lot of work. None of it's easy. This is hard. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it for you guys. What I'm talking about today is hard work. You have to use your brain. You have to be slightly creative. You have to be hardworking. You have to think things through. No doubt about it. But if you can do it, and you're willing to put in the work, and we'll talk tactics, and I'm gonna answer all your questions and stuff like that. If you do it, it is the gold mine. I mean, I went from being a terrible, about to get bounced out of the business producer to, an, uh, I won't curse in front of you guys, a rock star in about a year and a half. 
I mean, and for Rockstar, for me was, you know, I went from, I, the, the numbers don't matter. Making enough that I felt very good about myself. And it was not because I was selling online. It was just because I was getting people's attention and then doing what we always do. I still, I still, six years into the business, four and a half years into digital marketing, I still sold every personal lines policy that I sold face to face. Drove out, I would drive 45 minutes at nine o'clock at night to sit at someone's kitchen table and sell them a home auto and umbrella. Because that's how I like to sell. I like to sell face to face. Right? I'll do I'll sell over the phone, that's fine. If you want to sell, if you want to text message me, I'm cool with that too. But my preferred method to sell is to sit down across the table from you, kitchen or otherwise, and talk to you about what your needs are and how I can help you. That's the way I do my best work. Unfortunately, because of the internet, I just don't get to dictate that that always happens. Does that make sense to you guys? It's a, it's a, it was one of the hardest lessons for my father-in-law to learn. And I don't think he has. I think he just now, he, he went from um, not knowing to now he knows and doesn't care. He still forces people to come in and sit across the desk. <laughs> but uh, but he, um, he, has, he, he has earned the right to do that, you could say. Um, but for most of us, that's not the case. And if you're trying to grow, uh, what my father-in-law cannot do today, based on his current way of operating, is grow his business in any exponential form. They, they're usually three to five percent year over year, mostly because they have some really great partnerships. But he couldn't grow that business 15% the way that he sells, he just couldn't do it. If he needed to, he couldn't ramp it up and grow fast. You can't do that when you dictate the way in which you sell. So uh, I started selling whichever way I could. And, uh, and that's how uh, I kind of reached escape velocity. You know, broke my draw, started being able to, you know, do all that stuff, all the good stuff. So, so that's how I got, uh, got going. And you should be asking yourself, well, Ryan, if you were so freaking good at selling insurance, why are you standing in front of us here today? Have any of you asked yourselves that yet? <laughs> you should have, or I wouldn't have the respect for you. Um, the reason is more, uh, I joked about my family, but uh, unlike you guys, I did not own my book of business, nor uh, would I ever have an opportunity to own my agency, and I wanted to do bigger things with the agency that were just not possible, so that's why I left. I left four years ago. Um, I was, I owned the uh, incredibly creatively named Hanley Media Lab for two months, and uh, our current CEO, Chip Basioko, uh, scooped me up and brought me into TrustedChoice.com, and I've made a few of these people miserable for the last four years. <laughs> uh, some of my team members are in the room watching. So, uh, here's, here's what I want. I want to share with you some tactical stuff get into your questions um, and we're going to work through some major ideas. My goal for today is I want you to feel like creating attention and relationships online is very attainable goal for you. Because some of you may be saying, screw this, this kid doesn't know what the hell he's talking about, I'm never going to do this, it doesn't fit my business, my niche would never do that, I work with railroad contractors, Ryan, they don't use the internet. Who's, who said that to themselves so far? 
Someone in this room, Chris, close your eyes again. Someone in this room has already said to themselves, my niche does not use the internet. This won't apply to me. You can just do a little head bobbing. It's okay. It's okay. And for some of you, that's right. If you do write railroad contractors, the best way to sell railroad contractor insurance is to put on overalls and go walk, go walk out and, and talk to them. That's the best way to sell them. It's not always the internet. So, all right. So, what? How I cut cut my teeth? Um, I got blogging. I got using LinkedIn, and that was that was good stuff. Uh, that started to work. Um, we had a Monday morning sales meeting. I told you about that. And as I started to create these blog posts, um, business started trickling. So every once in a while, I'd say, they'd say, well, where did you get that account, Ryan? And I would say, I got it from my website. My website. Because my father-in-law did not want me to blog on our agency's website, so I created ryanhanley.com and I did it there. And after about a year of me saying my website, they didn't like the sound of that anymore, so they had me do it for the Murray Group's website, which makes sense. Unfortunately, in 2011, it still had copyright 2002 on the bottom of the webpage. So that's nine years, and the internet evolved quite a bit from 2002 to 2011. So we redid the website, top to bottom, and, uh, but I had this, I had this, uh, I had this really interesting thing happen. So we redid the website, <coughs> And then my father-in-law decided that all the business that came through the website should be his, which I was not, a, was not for. So staff went on strike, um, but we, staff went on strike and we had negotiations. Uh, management uh, stayed firm, but ultimately, ultimately we broke them. Uh, but what happened was this amazing case study. So from February of 2011 to December of 2011, Absolutely nothing happened on our website. We had a seven-page website that we had paid $1,500 to have redone. That's not a ton of money, but you really don't need much more from a website uh, for most uh, for most agency locations. Um, if you're getting uh, e-commerce or doing a lot of uh, doing a lot of fancy stuff, they can be more. But you know, this was nice and simple, basic, just something I could create blog posts on. And from February of 2011 to December of 2011, nothing happened, seven pages. And it gave me the perfect case study for what happens on a website that is not open, or not updated on a consistent basis. It was a flat line, 72 people a week on average, 72 people. Of those seven pages, about 95% of the traffic went to two of the pages, the home page and the contact us page. Why those two pages? Phone number and address. These were people who already knew who we were that were just trying to contact us. And guys, if your website is just for people who already know who you are to contact you, you are wasting every dollar that you spent on it. Think of it as an additional producer. It's a new business generating machine or it is nothing. The white pages are free and they can find your phone number and your address there. Does it make sense? Your website is either helping your brand or it's hurting your brand. But it's not doing, it's not in the middle. It's either a good depiction of who you are as a professional and what you can do and the services you can provide, or it's a bad depiction of who you are as a professional and the services you can provide. It's one or the other. So when you're doing a self-assessment of your website, think of it in that terms. There's no, like, it's okay, it's getting by. That means it sucks. You need to get rid of it. <laughs> 
So those two pages, 72 hits a week, people who already knew who we were, we were doing nothing, and finally, management comes back to staff and goes, I have a brilliant idea, why don't we just pay you your standard commission split for the business that comes through the website since you're gonna be doing everything anyways. <clears throat> That's a really good piece of advice, guys. Just pay them the standard commission split if you have producers. Super simple, super easy, okay? So, I needed to jumpstart that website because it had been dead. It's a flat line for however many months that is, nine months. So what I did was during the month of December 2011 was I asked every single person who came into our office, you can have just one question answered about insurance. No question is too simple, too hard, too crazy. There's no dumb questions. Just one question. What's one thing about insurance that's on your brain? And I would write it down. And I asked people on Facebook and email or whatever. I just collected questions is the point. I gathered uh, 147 questions. Um, some of them were crazy like spaceship insurance, so I threw those out. Some of them were duplicates. And I came to a nice solid list of about, uh, say, 40% personalized, 40% commercial, and 10% life and health. Because we did, uh, I wrote the full spectrum. Uh, we were like a 60-40 shop, uh, personal commercial. Uh, mostly, probably for what a lot of you guys do, uh, knowing commercial, it's probably more the small to micro businesses. So $500 bops to maybe like $25,000 accounts. We didn't do a lot of super big businesses. Um, just to give you an idea. So I have this list of questions. And um, how many of you have seen the movie Pulp Fiction? Pulp Fiction, That's everyone's seen that for the most part, okay? Uh, Uma Thurman snorts heroin, bad idea. She ODs. Actually, one of the primary takeaways of this talk is do not snort heroin. <laughs> Smack kills. Um, so she snorts the heroin, she goes down. John Travolta takes the adrenaline shot, jabs it into her chest, she comes bursting back to life. Now, I don't care if you write medical insurance, I know that maybe that's not how it would actually happen in real life. It's a movie, it's fake. The point is, I needed an adrenaline shot to our business. So what I did was I started answering those questions every single day for 100 days in a row in two minutes or less of video, and I'll show you exactly how I did it. And unless you have rotator cuff issues, all of you can do this. <laughs> Hi, my name is Ryan Hanley. I'm a producer at the Murray Group Insurance Services, and today I'm gonna to answer the question, what is homeowner's insurance? Homeowner's insurance is, and then I would do somewhere between however much time that took and two minutes to answer that question. From here, this phone, I would upload it to YouTube. I would then put it on my website. So I had it on YouTube, and I had it on my website. I did it every day for 100 days. So, that campaign changed the course of my life because having done that work, I had now answered questions that no one had ever answered in the history of the world. <laughs> I'm serious. Somewhere in the middle of that mess, someone answered the, asked the question, what is New York State short-term disability insurance? New York State is one of the few states that have this. It's a commercial, it's a mandatory commercial lines policy that you have to have if you have employees. So if anyone ever has, if any of you guys have ever written commercial insurance in New York, you know about it. 
How rich do you get on short-term disability policies? Not very. At the time, $44 per female employee for the year, $19 per male. And for you that don't do it, it's women have babies and they can use it when they run out of um, when they run out of maternity leave. You can use this policy. That's literally the only thing that it's used for. So this policy is not going to get you rich. But she asked the question and I answered it. And then in um, Six months after I did this campaign, Zurich decided they were going to non-renew all their short-term disability policies in the state of New York. Now, what do your clients do when they get a non-renewal letter in the mail? What the is short-term disability insurance? Now, here's the deal with short-term disability insurance. Now, I am sure, and what is your name? Christine. I am sure that Christine does not do this, but I'm gonna tell you how most agents sell short-term disability insurance. You need workers' comp and there's this other stupid little policy that's gonna come in the mail, just pay it, it'll be a couple hundred bucks, right? That's how most people sell this policy. All right, so being that nobody even knew they had this policy, they went to Google and they typed in, what is New York State short-term disability? And guess who the only person in the history of the world to have ever answered that question was? And I am not shitting you. New York State Department of Insurance had not answered that question. They had tons of information about it, but they had never typed out the words, what is, or this is what it is. They had never done that, ever. The New York State Department of Insurance is not super good at SEO. My phone started ringing off the hook. And when I say off the hook, I actually had to give accounts to my brother-in-law, which was like knifing myself in the chest like this. It was miserable. Right, here's the, like I can't, it was, it was, but it was also phenomenal. We put, um, in less than a year, we put $250,000 in revenue on the books from accounts that we wrote just from that one video. So one video, one 12 month period, $250,000 in revenue. Uh, that's just first year revenue. Um, now, Christine is saying to herself, Ryan is full of crap because I know you cannot make $250,000 from short term disability policies. And she would be very right. This is how I sold these policies. Hi, Ryan, can you, I saw your video. Can you, I, I need short term disability. Can you help me? Sure I can. Well, the fact that you're calling me about short-term disability means that you probably have employees. Well, sure I do, Ryan. Well, that means you have workers' comp, don't you? Yes. You probably, do you have a liability policy? Well, sure I do. Do you have, do any property? Yeah. Do you have any vehicles? Sure I do. What, you have a $39,000 E&O policy for an engineering firm? Right? The Hanleys are going to Sizzler, baby. That's what it was all about. You cross-sell out of the problem into the account. They're always gonna call you about the problem. They're always gonna call you about the problem. No one ever woke up in the morning and said, I'm having an amazing insurance experience. I'm gonna go shop my insurance today. <laughs> you know what, I haven't had a claim in 10 years. My premiums are low, my coverage is amazing. I'm gonna go shop my insurance today. Nobody's ever said that. They, they shop when they're pissed or something's wrong or they don't understand something or something bad happens. They call when they have a problem. And if we think of ourselves as problem solvers and not order takers, which none of you are, you all look like problem solving geniuses. I mean, this is a pretty amazing group that we have here. I, I think you can do a lot of damage because here's what your competition does. Short-term disability 
Oh, we don't write that standalone. <clears throat> Account gone. If you're going to engage in digital marketing, you're going to have to accept the fact that they're always going to call you with the problem. And you can't think about it as a problem. You have to think about it as an opportunity. It's incredibly difficult to do. Because what you're going to want to do is say, we don't write standalone auto. We don't write standalone children with disability. We don't write standalone workers' comp. We don't do that here. Oh, you don't want to move your whole package to me immediately? We don't do that here. And unfortunately, you're leaving, you are leaving all the meat on the bone when you do that. Uh, it is this, and then all this is hindsight, guys. I'm teaching, I'm telling you things that I learned post. That this, I, this isn't some brilliant scheme that I had. One, I did not want to go back to cold calling and shit, so I, making videos every day gave me an excuse to not do that, right? I had no idea that short-term disability was gonna be my big, huge win. I, had, I could have never picked it out in a million years. Out of a hundred tries, that would have been the hundredth video that I would have picked to be my big win, or at least my first big win from a marketing standpoint. Never in a million years. And the only reason that I did the cross-selling is because I was poor. I was broke. I wanted money. I would take the, you know, 17 cents that I'd get from a, from a short-term disability policy. And I was just dumb enough to think through, hey, maybe there's some other policies I can get here. They're always going to call you with a problem, always. You're never gonna get that great account. Now, I know what Aaron is thinking. He's going, Ryan, I'm amazing at Google Ads. All the best people call me. And that is true. It's not that you can't get good people. I 100% agree with Aaron. But they're going to call you with the problem, okay? Occasionally, you're gonna get a nice count that comes in. It's just like something happened, they're moving states. You know, there's, there's all kinds of different scenarios. I'm not saying every account that calls you is gonna be crap. But what you have to understand is they're always gonna call you the problem. I think I've said it six times. I gotta say it one more so that you remember. I'll work here. <laughs> this is a very important point because I want this to be attainable and for you to have success. And if you don't buy into this idea, if you're sitting there shaking your head no, going, nah, not interested, it's not gonna work. You're gonna spend a lot of money and you're gonna waste it because they're gonna call you, they're gonna have just had an accident, and you'll be like, oh, geez, a progressive account. Well, you know what, three years later, that progressive account becomes maybe a nice package with a, a carrier that you have a good contingency with, right? I mean, I got into an accident seven years ago. Does that mean I'm a bad account? I was a year after the accident, but then I never got into another one. What you don't wanna do, and the reason I'm starting with this at the very beginning is because this is really the rub, right? I can talk tactics to you guys all day long. I'll teach you everything that you wanna know, and I'll answer every question that you have about how to actually do this. But if we don't get straight and clear on the fact that you're gonna have to work through some problems and think about these things as a true problem solver, it's gonna be for nothing. Because you're gonna toss opportunities out on the door, and you can just be like, here's a $40 bill, here's a $20 bill, you know, here's, here's, here's a C-note, just toss it on the floor. You just took someone calling you about a personal umbrella and said, we don't write that monoline, and threw the $40 it cost you to create that opportunity onto the floor. And nobody likes throwing money on the floor. Is that cool? Are we good on that? I really beat that up on purpose. I didn't just run out of things to say. <laughs> 
Does anyone have any questions about that? Is there anything that doesn't make sense? And it's okay. This is a safe zone. I have a question. Yes, please. Did you require, so with that monoline short-term disability? Yes. You obviously said we would do it. Did you at some point require an opportunity to pull these other lines? I never required it. I encouraged it. So I would always tell them, and again, marketing is like being 90% honest. So I would always tell them that it was advantageous that I quoted their whole policy for them. But I didn't require it because, uh, and again, maybe I'm, uh, I grew up a little too far out in the woods, but uh, if what the problem really was was just they needed a short-term disability policy, I wanted to solve that for them. They picked up the phone, they took the time to call me, and for me to just toss them out the door I think was doing a disservice to them, and I think there is a serendipity and karma to the internet that I don't want to mess with. So it's like golf. It's like golf. It is just like golfing. It's kind of like bowling when you're like doing the this thing, like trying to get it to move over. If you haven't been nice to that ball, it's not moving. So, and I mean that when I talk about the serendipity of the whole thing. Um, for every time that you bite the bullet and you write the monoline short term, when I tell you that the, I, I made the little joke about the thirty-nine thousand dollars you know policy, that literally fell on my lap. I didn't even really talk that far into it. The guy said, I can't believe my agent never explained this to me. I'm gonna fax you all my policies today. And it just came, you know, I'm like, I'm like, oh cool, look at this. Oh shit, you know, probably and, you know, this, you know, I see the I see uh, he had he had travelers, their their select program where you used to have to like used to have to like actually physically mail the applications to travelers to have them quote it and you get the professional lines quote back like three weeks later. Do you guys remember that process? I don't even think, maybe they don't do that anymore, but uh, that's what he had. And uh, we just BOR'd it and bam, it was just like that. He was so pissed that his agent hadn't explained to him this policy and that he could possibly receive in the mail a non-renewal letter with his agent never having told him that he even had this policy, that he just handed me the business. So for every one of those really, you know, those ones where you're just like, jeez, all right, we'll just do it. Um, I would always note the system so that I would follow up in six months with them for the rest of their account. or. Uh, this happened too. They would feel bad because they knew that they're, I'm writing like a hundred dollar policy for them. I get their personal lines. I'd be like, oh well, if, if you're if you feel pretty comfortable with your commercial, let me quote up your personal lines. Maybe I can save you the cost of this policy in your personal lines. You want to buy some insurance from me right now, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, so that's how I did it, um, and. <clears throat> I don't know, it worked for me. What other questions do you guys have about this particular topic? Anything? Yes, oh yeah, question in the back. So Not you, Joey, you work for me. Yeah. You're next. You are in a painful position, you are giving your brother-in-law leads, you are so busy. Yeah. How did you get through the process of, okay, I, I can't keep doing this YouTube and everything else because I'm so busy, I can't afford to bring more in. How did you get through that process so That's that suddenly you didn't go flat again? So uh, I'm going to summarize the question and say, uh, how did I continue to prioritize marketing when the business of insurance kind of got in the way? Is that a good way to summarize That's that? That's correct. Okay, so <laughs> excellent, amazing question. Uh, I'm so glad that you asked that. Um, I just worked harder longer hours. I didn't have kids as part of it too, so that made it a little easier. Like now I have a two and a four year old, so it kind of sucks to work at like three o'clock in the morning. But, um, and then the other part was is, um, 
I trained my wife on commercial lines because she's a uh, personal lines. Uh, her expertise is personal lines. She's like a freaking savant. Um, and uh, I helped train her on commercial lines. So she took over the burden of some of that work because we realized how important the marketing was that if I, I had to keep doing it to keep driving more and more business. So we just staffed up and just kept cranking. Um, I know you all have maybe thought this and or verbalized it, but is my least favorite saying in our industry, but Ryan, that money comes out of my pocket. Um, we talked a little bit about this at lunch, and it's this stuff costs either time or money. And, and it's either don't do it, or you're spending time or money. And uh, what I did was I first trained up my wife she got to the point where she was overburdened, and that's when we brought in a new uh, producer that I then trained, who uh, I did some commission split stuff with, fed him some opportunities, and um, and then he did some service work as he learned to. He was kind of young, so that's how we did it. And then we just they added a few more people. Uh, they since have downsized, and a couple people have started, you know, kind of branched out and done their own thing. But at the time, we went from about 12, 13 employees up to about 18. Because uh, we were really cranking for a while. I mean, we did like a, they're a, just over $3 million agency now. When I was there, we were at like one and a half and we were doing like 30%, 40% growth year over year. I mean, we were, I mean, for, for our business, writing like tiny little $500 bops sometimes, like we, I thought that was pretty good. Um, but we could not have done it if we didn't staff up. So, so it wasn't all net. There was cost to adding that, that top line. Uh, so Zurich uh, cancels all these disability product um, policies. What happens? What would have happened if they didn't? They probably would have ended up calling their agent eventually. No, I mean, yeah. they they stayed in the business and there was no issue on disability. What do you oh. think would have happened with the? I'm miserable in Albany selling insurance. You'd be back cold calling. Yeah, I'd be cold calling. I mean, the rest of the marketing really. Yeah, no, no. Really so they were anything. It was just that was the one. big win. So that was the one that really drove um, home. That uh, that campaign itself. So if you take the the whole title uh, theme. The entirety of the campaign from 2012 to today, so now five years, they've done over half a million dollars in revenue from it. Just the half of it came from one post, which is the fun story to tell. Um, but they all drove business. I mean, homeowners accounts, personal umbrellas. I got a ton of bot business, and actually it's how I got into professional lines. So I never got a real big win on professional lines. But, uh, so my expertise ended up being professional lines. That's, that's, that's where I, uh, that's, that's how I, Again, I kept all this going and actually worked on an account that I liked, was, was working with professionals. So I fell into that because I had done a couple of the posts were on uh, professional insurance. And I just got a few calls. I mean, nothing, not an avalanche, but I got half dozen to a dozen calls. I started to work on the accounts. I became interested in it. And then I figured out how to prospect it. And a lot of that prospecting was real traditional stuff. It was going to networking events, going to charity functions, bumping into people. Um, taking guys out for golf, doing the, you know, doing a lot of the traditional stuff. I created more content on that in specific. That got me some more opportunities. And in the professional line space though, uh, what, where the content really became valuable, and, and I was gonna talk a little bit more about this at the end, was less marketing and more relationship building. So someone would call me about, um, just say an engineering firm, right? They would call me and have a couple questions. And maybe they weren't ready to buy. They were just, had read some of my stuff, had some questions. I would answer those questions and then I would email them and follow up with the video that I had created to say, here, you're probably gonna forget what I said to you because it's a lot of information. 
watch this, and it will reiterate. Now, I'm in their inbox delivering something that no insurance agent has ever delivered for them before, reestablishing my authority on the topic, and that, you know, my goal was they were already closed. I never wanted to have to actually sell. I wanted them to have made up the decision, and all they were really doing was verifying that I was a decent guy, because that's easy to do. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm decent at, at least. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Oh, he's yeah, not. Man. This guy's my plan right here. Uh, so, yeah, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so, like, with that example, so you send the guy a follow up video. I mean, do you ask for the business or do you assume, hey, I'm giving this guy what I think he wants, leave it on him to call me back? And um, I would. I would usually slow play it, unless I thought that it was, that I could get it. So like it all depended on how the call went or the interaction went. So if I thought they were super close and I just need to push them off the edge, it would be like, here, watch this. It'll reiterate what we talked about and let's set an appointment for me to come over and start to work through this. So that I would ask for that, but that's a complete feel issue. Most of the time it would be, hey, watch this. I'll give you a call in a couple weeks. If you have any more questions, let me know. And then I'm just, I'm always notating the system, notate the system, you know, and then I would show up, I'd have my follow-ups for the day that I knew I had to get to, and I would just churn and burn that way. So I was always just, you know, and the other part is like, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm just like a dogged Irish Catholic man. I mean, I'm just on these guys. As soon as I smell blood, I'm just bam, 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 bam. You know, I'm not gonna let you get out of my cycle. Once you were in my marketing cycle, I never wanted you to get out unless you told me flat out, never call me again. So that might be, you'd get a follow-up email six months or a year from now. It may mean that I would call you, and all in, we had TAM of all systems. I'm sure some of you have TAM. Um, I mean, it worked as a note-taking thing, I guess. So, uh, you know, I just put in there, like, phone call follow-up, uh, and you know, Eno policy, engineering firm, bam, and then it would just come up, they get the wacky little box like this, and you just check them off, and feel like you're in the twilight zone looking at that thing, but, um, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Cool. So, all depends. Just the answer. <clears throat> Other questions? Yes, sir. How many times did you email or call the guy that asked that question about short-term disability insurance? I mean, you must, you, you must love the guy, or, or whoever it was. Yes, that's a very good question. Um, it was uh, one of my, it was just a personal lines client uh, who had a business that I didn't have, and I've actually followed up with, uh, uh, it was a, a woman-owned business. I walked in, handed her some flowers, and asked for her commercial lines business, which she gave So, it was a very good day for me. Annual flowers, right? Yeah, annuals, yeah. <laughs> Whatever, what other questions do you guys have? I can never remember, is it annuals or perennials you have to play it, plant every no, year? No, you get, you just send them every year. <laughs> right? I'm not a botanist, so I don't <laughs> play. I, I, uh, yeah, you, you, um, I think, I think what I'm getting at is yeah. that client now must get a split of commission, right? No. <laughs> it wants your sales. My wife wants a Land Rover, man. I got like a trust fund for that thing. Yes. Um, well, side note, annuals, you have to plant annually. 
It was killing me when you said that, because then I went into, I can never remember, so thank you for doing that. How many, um, so how many blog videos, I mean, I, I'm assuming you're doing blog videos still. Yep. How many do you do, and how often do you do them? Good. Question is cadence. I would say at the beginning, I would do, this is the harder part, I think more frequency at the beginning is a positive because then you can tailor off a little bit. You've built some momentum up. So if you could do if you could do three a week to start or two a week, that's great. And then you can tailor it back over time to one. Cadence though is not necessarily as important as how valuable the video is. I would rather, or, or the piece of content, it doesn't have to be video. I just like video because we're not all good writers and writers can take a ton of time. And this is super quick and all of you own all the expertise to, to make this, literally, hi, my name is Ryan Hanley, here's what homeowners insurance is, right? Bam, give it to them. So, what's more important is that it's valuable. So you only create as often as you can deliver value. So if that's once a month and it's super, super valuable, create one piece of content and then just market the shit out of it, right? Email it to everybody, put it on Facebook, put it on YouTube, put, you know, LinkedIn, push it out all over, the same piece of content. If it's super valuable and people are, are relating to it and it has and it's working for you, just keep working and working and working and working it. But if you can create value twice a week, three times a week, 100 times in 100 days, whatever it is for you, that's as often as you want to create, as often as you create value. As soon as you start to feel like you're getting a little worn out or you're starting to hit a block, because I don't expect any of you to be potential uh, 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 prolific creators, just take a break. Like, don't stress yourself out, you know what I mean? Pump the brakes, take a week off, take a couple weeks off, and then come back and get it again when you got time. Uh, Consistency is important, but the key is that every piece of content has value. What you don't want to do is create just to create. Because that's when you get stuff that someone watches and they're like, nah, you know, you're just mailing it in. You don't really care. And that's what you don't want. Your content is either helping your brand or it's hurting your brand. There's no in between. There's no, I did the work. It's either a piece of content that drives your message forward and establishes you as an expert and builds relationships, attracts attention, or it's a piece of garbage that you should throw out and delete and forget that you ever made. Does that make sense? It's a little apocalyptic, but I'm in kind of a mood today. Is there a, uh, any sort of like time frame, you know, like attention spans in today's world? You know, do you keep your videos under 30 seconds? Do you keep your blog posts? Very, very good question. Um, so the question is, for those who may not have heard, how long should a, like I say, a video should be? Um, I'm gonna give you my really marketing answer and then I'm gonna give you the truth. Uh, my super marketing answer is as long as it needs to be for you to deliver value. Uh, my actual answer is I think for most of what you wanna do, uh, 60 to 120 seconds is where I'd be. That's one minute to two minutes for those who keep <laughs> um, I would say one minute to two minutes is really nice along at three. If you're really explaining an in-depth topic to a group of people who this is important to, let's say you, like what's your niche? Do you work inside a niche? No, not yet. Yeah. How long have you been doing this? About four years. Find a niche, my friend. You're gonna be happy that you did that. <laughs> so, uh, so let's say you decide your niche is gonna be professional liability, and I would encourage it because most of the people in this room are scared to death of professional liability. So when you come in and you own that policy, you can pick it apart. Now, not that you're gonna steal any clients from your friends, but 
You can pick it apart, it's super easy. I, it's my recommendation too. Uh, that being said, let's say you're really deep into the uh, engineering space, right? You know these people, you're going to the events, you know how to talk their language. You can go a little deeper because you're really investing in them and they're investing in you. But for Trump, when you're just starting to get going and reach out, 60 to 120 seconds, maybe three minutes at the longest. And uh, stay in that range and you're gonna be good. And try to be as concise as possible. I am very verbose. It is hard for me to be short in what I say. Um, so it takes practice and don't beat yourself up if your first couple videos, you've got ums and ahs or maybe I have this thing where I'll say something and then I'll say it a different way as if you didn't understand it the first time. And you probably think that's because I'm in marketing and it's like a behavioral thing and really it's just because I like to talk. So that being the case, uh, I don't beat myself up if I go long, but I try to keep it as short as I can. So that was a really long way of saying short. <laughs> yes. So outside of the videos, were you doing any kind of follow-ups on those topics? Yes. <coughs> so you guys have the best questions. Thank you for inviting me here. This is so much fun. Um, so yes, the answer to that is, uh, I'll paraphrase, uh, building, I built, did I build like a campaign around a topic? Okay, yes. So what I would do is, when I saw that a certain topic or a certain video in particular was doing well, um, uh, uh, like I said, the, the, the short-term disability kind of got me into E&O in a roundabout way. And so I started doing a lot of content around uh, professional liability. So I would do a blog, or I would do a follow-up video, or you know something like that, or I would do a lot of like social posting. I did a lot of posting in LinkedIn about just any of those topics, and I really dove deep into that particular topic. And then uh, there's some like tactical stuff where I would always link back to the articles that perform the best. Like if I knew, if I knew a certain video had a high conversion rate, which just meant they, I, from from my I didn't have sophisticated tracking then. So basically, just people were referencing that piece of content. You know, I'd say, hey, how did you find me? We're gonna get to tracking in a real good tracking in a second. But how did you find me? They would tell me if they reference the same video. I would then link anything related to that topic to that video because I knew if I could get them to that one, they were converting at a higher rate. Does that make sense? So your winners, your 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 pieces of content that do well, create other content that drives people to the one that does well. Because your blog posts, your videos, are producers that sell for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they never take a vacation, they're always working, they're always selling. You don't have to talk to them about benefits, they don't have bad moods, they're always, always working, okay? That's the way I think about a blog post. It's a salesperson working for me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yes, sir? Which was the hottest uh, channel for you? Was it the blog, the website, LinkedIn? Yeah. Uh, Sounds like you've been mentioning blog frequently. Yes, so when I say the word blog, what I really mean is like an article, just in case anyone is confused about that. Blog is such a terrible word. It just, it's like puking on yourself every time you say it. Wow, it just comes out of your mouth, it just feels, like it makes me feel weird every time I say it. Um, so just articles, okay? So I'll put, I, I mostly worked in uh, articles, video, and then social media. And when I say social media, it's a collective way of saying kind of sh like short, really micro content, an image, uh, a, a couple sentences in a Facebook post or something like that. So that kind of stuff, video and, and articles. So to answer your question, 
What worked the best for me was video, by far. Um, the more video work I did, the more engagement uh, I got. And by engagement, I mean phone calls and that kind of stuff, not just like, hey, nice video, because like, I could give a crap about that. Um, that being said, from uh, as I got, as I started to nerd out on this, um, I realized the value of search engine optimization and and having people find me in Google because I kind of got lucky with the one. I mean, I didn't really know what I was doing. Again, I, a lot of my what I know today is looking back at the campaigns that were successful and learning from them. So as I started to realize what search engine optimization was about, a lot of text-based articles tended to rank higher, so, and I don't want to get too technical for you, I just think the best answer is a, is a very solid mix as much as you're able to do it. A nice healthy mix, although I will put this caveat on. You're going to do your best work in the medium you're the most comfortable with. So if you are just, have, you just are horrified by video, right? I hate the way I look, my hair always looks weird, I sound weird, I'm always doing this weird thing with my face. I would rather that you, you know, if, if it's really that big a deal, if it's a true obstacle, just write. Or do audio, right? Do short form audio. Do some little podcast things. Podcasting's super easy. I mean, Joey on our team here is cranking out a podcast a day. I mean, it's just talking into it. I did a podcast, I'm not kidding you. My last podcast, which dropped today, I did driving home from Boston. I held a microphone out up like this, and I drove home, and I just, I had this. I just had an amazing meeting, and I had this idea on my head, and I was like, I have to get this out. So I just drove home and talked my pod, talked the idea into the microphone. Podcast done, 20 minutes, super easy. I don't know if that's distracted driving or not. <laughs> Technically, I had one hand on the wheel, and my eyes were on the road. But um, but yeah, that's I, I think I think. If you work in the medium that you enjoy the most, you're gonna be the most apt to continue to do it. Um, if it's really a struggle for you, like you just don't like it, then when it starts to get hard, you're gonna give it up and not come back to it. Does that make sense? Yeah, cool. That's an awesome question. Other questions, yeah. Is Google or uh, YouTube, are they pulling speech from your videos or is it all about keywords and titles and tags? <sighs> so last I knew, um, they were starting to mess around with, if, if they could get a clear uh, transcription, they were starting to use that. If you can, a timestamp transcription, uploading your own with your YouTube video, definitely has impact on your ranking. Do you know that to be any different? Nissa agrees, that means it's true. Is there any reason you could go in and, based on analytics or something, change the keywords or I, do a different one? You know, I, it depends on how valuable that topic is to you. I think if you if you really love that video and you think that you can get that done, it's worth testing. I've actually never seen a test where someone uploaded, you know, a different transcript with more keywords on a video. I've just never seen the study, and I've never done it myself. Um, my only thought is, if they see that you're doing that, they may they may penalize. You. Right. And so I know things like tags don't really matter for YouTube. It's all about today and. Uh, Sid, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Sid's our, our YouTube guru. It's, today, it's all about um, the time that that video drives in total YouTube viewership. So what I mean by that is they hit a video, and then maybe they watch another one of your videos, and another one of your videos, and as that time adds up, they'll give the videos that they're watching more credibility. 
So if you're driving a video, with, and I'm super nerded out, so if this doesn't interest you, just give me like 15 more seconds. Um, if you were creating a video that drives a lot of watch time on YouTube, they're gonna throw that thing right up to the top. That's, and that's why like, a, like They a, add at the end of the things, the boxes to click on the next video. No, you do that now. Well, you can do that so that's useful yeah. in some way. No? Yes, yeah, yeah, so those end screens, you can edit those now, you should not be able to do that. Yeah, uh, okay. Nerd off. Uh, <laughs> I got a question. How yep. much business came from out of state? <laughs> so the algorithm used that Google's algorithm back then was not super good. Albany, Oregon, and Albany, Georgia, all the time. <laughs> Today, it's it's so much better. They just by based on IP address and all that kind of stuff. I would I don't even know that you always need to have the um, the name of the town in like the title. Like I used to do Albany homeowners insurance. Not that that doesn't have value today, but it has less. Am I correct in that? Truth. Two for two so far. Um, so I think that used to definitely be an issue. And it was one of the things that I used to get banged on about in, in my agency because we got another call from Albany, Georgia. You're wasting our time. <laughs> just tell them you can't help them. And, you know, in that scenario, it's okay to say, hey, you know, we're not licensed in Georgia, we're sorry. Um, but that, that stopped happening like a year or so later, and I don't think it's an issue really anymore. There was another question when I took Aaron's that was over here. That's okay if it's for yes, sir. Yeah, with, um, with all the different niches that you were focusing on, all your questions and whatnot, yep. how did you spend time focusing on the professional lines, or how did you become a player of that market? So it, it just the maturation, it took me, it was over a couple of years. So it wasn't like the 100 questions and then I went into professional lines. I After I did the 100 questions, I sold for another six and a half years. I was in the business. So I it just was kind of maturation over time. I found that I could, you know, I was a real killer in that space. And like you throw me on a manufacturing account and I had no idea, right? I'm fumbling through it just like anyone else. Um, so it just was over time having worked with a lot of those, figuring out how to prospect them, spending time in those spaces. Funny thing is, professionalized accounts love to play golf. Which is super cool for me because I like golf too. So it was just a match made in heaven for me, and it and it really worked. Um, it just like going to manufacturing shops. I just I just didn't have any interest in the business. So just like I gravitated towards video because um, I like that medium, I gravitated towards professionalized because I liked those accounts for whatever reason. Does that make sense? Did that answer your question? Or no? For the most part. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. Other questions. Are you filming your videos? How am I filming them? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so when I did the actual thing, I filmed them on my phone. So this right here, what's that like? A, it's a seven plus maybe? No. Eight, ten, six, yeah. four, Three. two, two, two. Flip phone, pencil. Yeah. That right there has at minimum a. Uh, let's say an eight megapixel, possibly a 10 megapixel camera. I was filming on a four megapixel Android Pro, which was actually a Palm <coughs> And uh, so if, if you can go back and search, like go to the Murray Groups, the Murray Group on YouTube, you'll see all the videos I created. Go back to the very first one. It is terrible. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm literally holding the phone so you can see like this part of my arm and it's like a little shaky like this. 
And that's how I did it. I don't know that I would recommend that today. You seem like a guy with enough means to maybe like grab a tripod and use a tripod. That's so. <laughs> so. Now, the best video will be who's videoing you doing your video. But, yeah, so you could do it, you could do it right into that. Um, and then, here, here's the best part. So let's say you did want to do it, just talking through it. By their jokes, I have a kind of a feeling that it would be amazing if you did. Uh, maybe, what would, what would you say? I'm interested, what would you say? What, about this? No, into oh. the camera. <laughs> I am Ron. One by phone. No, I'm just curious. No, no, it's a great question. Look, because if you're holding it, you're It's a great question. So for, let's say. How many? If you have to edit, what if you screw so, it up? So what I would say is for a turnable tripod, sit down just like this, tripod, and actually, we can probably show everyone. We have that. So this is the intense rig. You do not need to go here, okay? We're, like I said, super nerds. We've been doing this for a long time. This right here is probably $8,000 worth of camera and lens, okay? You don't need that. Good. Sydney in the back has a rig that probably all told is about 1200 bucks. If you're gonna get super serious, I would never think you would ever need more than that, and I would do it on here for a year before I would think about buying that if I were you, okay? And that's if you get super serious. Now with this setup, you buy the tripod, you sit down in the chair, you put it on the tripod, now it's not shaky, and as long as you're in a room that doesn't have a ton of echo like this one, so maybe like the main area of your office or just a room that doesn't have echo, Hit the plate. Whoa, whoa. See, I got that. That's Bill's. They have good hands. I yeah. So, if they call it like that, we might have a Super Bowl. Uh, so, uh, it is America's team, by the way. It's the only team whose official colors are red, white, and blue. Just so all you guys. Uh, Texas. In Tyrod, Texas. No, they're gray. It's one of their official colors. So just like the Patriots. Um, so, it's a tripod and you just talk into it. And then from here, here's the beauty of doing it on your phone. You can easily take this and email it or upload it to someone that you can pay a couple bucks to, to edit it up real quick and post it to YouTube for you. But you can do it right from here. So it's literally, they can show you and, and they can put it on a piece of paper, click this button, click that button. So you finish, you click the button, it's raw, you wouldn't wanna post what you had done. And then you would just hit, you know, Johnny, email, go, and the, the interweb will shoot it out of the phone right to Johnny. Well, he'll edit it, post it on YouTube for you, or whoever, you pay a contractor. It's super, you know, it's cheapest stuff. 20 bucks a video, 10 bucks a video. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah, she can do it for 10 bucks. I like to mention that Ian over there is our... Is yeah, our yeah, Ian will do it. <laughs> Ian is dying to? to edit all of your videos. Like, he literally told me at lunch, he's like, I hope they just bombard me. Well, what would he edit? Next time we do this, I want to drink before the event. This would be amazing if these guys were all bombs. So, uh, so you could just say, hey, you know, my name's Ron, and I like to sell homeowners insurance. I'm super good at it. And if you want the best homeowners insurance, give me a call. You know, five five five, whatever the hell your number is, and then uh, and that's it. And see how it feels. And if you think it's terrible, delete. 
and do it again. And just keep it super short. And we'll all comment on it. Yeah, and then they will comment on it. We'll all share it with all our friends. And, <laughs> but yeah, you just. A lot of help here. Yeah, these, these are definitely your friends. Um, does that answer your question though? I would say a $30 tripod on your phone is all you need to get started. It's not the preferred case, but I, you can get reasonable quality with that cell phone and it will be fairly easy. Okay. Cool? Okay. Cool. Let's see how much time I have to spend. Uh, I have a testimonial for you. Oh, And I don't even know you. Okay. So, my son is 10 and all he does is watch YouTube videos all day long. Yeah. And that's all his friends do too. Yes. And they talk about it and they watch the silliest. Yeah. yeah. I think Dalton, why are you watching this? And he watches it over and over again. So this is it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Slime. Yeah, they, watch, they watch videos of other people play video games. I wonder right. if we could do like writing up an insurance policy. <laughs> I think, here's, here's what I think. I think just doing the work of creating the video in some people's mind is enough for them to give you a try. I can't tell you how many people reached out to me and just said, I just spent like 20 minutes on your YouTube station watching insurance videos. I never in my life would have thought I would watch 20 minutes worth of YouTube videos on insurance. But they would do it because uh, I, I would have, sometimes I would wear a hoodie or you know what I mean? Because it was late. And I, I had a hoodie on, I need to get it done, right? I mean, this wasn't easy. By no measure was doing those 100 videos easy. And there was some ways that I would improve it, I would batch, I was doing them every day. So if I were to do it again, I'd do like 10 in a day, and then I wouldn't have to do it again for 10 days. But I did not do that. So I was constantly scrambling. Uh, I would say, on average though, it took me about 25 to 30 minutes to, from creation, to you know, a couple quick edits. I'm usually just chop the ends. I wasn't doing real heavy edits. And then uh, uploading to YouTube and done. And it was 20 to 30 minutes a day. And that's really what it ended up being. Yes, sir. So yeah, I know you, you said you kind of wore whatever you were feeling. Did yeah. you have a concern about you know what your brand was? Or did you let your personality come out? I mean, what, what factors? I, at the time, was not thinking about my brand. If I were to do it again, I think, so I tend to be a more casual guy in general. That's probably obvious at this point. Um, so, but I still think you need to dress at least appropriate for the people that you're talking to. Now, if you're writing personal lines, being in a full suit and talking about personal lines is intimidating as shit and you're gonna turn people off. Because nobody wants to buy personal lines from a guy in a full suit, it seems weird today. 10 years ago, that wasn't the case. Everyone wore a suit. I wore a suit every single day when I went to work, right? But today, I think it's more jacket, no tie. So you can still look pro, but maybe just take the tie off, right? Or Sid rocks a bow tie. Today, that's cool. 10 years ago, you'd be like, what the hell are you doing, man? And I go, that's weird. But now it's super cool. So it's all based on the industry and who you're trying to attract and just being appropriately dressed. I don't think there's a right or wrong way. Just if you're, if it's more casual, if you're a more casual person, just more casual. If you're more buttoned up and more corporate you know, look, you know, then do that. If there is no right or wrong. Don't look like a bum. That's basically, and the hoodie video was a mistake and I hated that I had to do it. I just knew that if I didn't record it, 
at that moment, I would not have got it done that day, and I didn't want to miss a day. I was like, I was deathly afraid of missing a day, because then I thought that would snowball. So I did it, I put it out, and the strange thing was, thankfully it was about personal lines, and I can't tell you how many people addressed the hoodie video. Yes, sir? I don't think anybody asked this. How much revenue you get from your YouTube channel? Oh, I didn't monetize it. I don't know. No, I, I didn't monetize it. Um, I turned monetization on because that gives you certain uh, analytics, but I did not put ads on the channel because it wasn't the point. And uh, if I did, people could advertise against my views. So if I monetize it, then State Farm can come and, and, mon and advertise on my YouTube videos. Now you can go in and specifically exclude those people, but the pennies that I was gonna get from a thousand views on a video was not even close to one person, one of those thousand people. Oh, I'm just thinking over eight years, people are still looking. I mean, yeah. look at you, referencing, look at your video. Yeah. Everybody here looking at it. If every single one of you watched it a hundred times, that would probably make yeah. 17 cents. <laughs> it's like you gotta be, it, the truth is, to make a living on YouTube, you gotta be doing about 10,000, 10 million views a month to make a living. And that's to make a living, that's not to be a rock star. So it's, it's hard. Those people who do the stupid things and you're like, God, I can't believe that that's like an actual career, they actually work like really hard, even though what they do is ridiculous. Uh, yes. Can you tell us how the, I mean, because obviously you were the first, one well, of the first insurance agents a long time ago to start that. How is the industry as a whole involved? How yep. many agencies are doing it? How many agents are doing it now? Because I have a feeling that somebody that's 25 now is also going to come out. And be yes. So the question is, how much has the industry changed since when I first started doing this? So when I, if I were to do this, because uh, I, I started speaking about a year and a half after I did the 100 questions because people wanted to know how I did it. Back then, this same audience, the whole time you'd be sitting here like this. Nope, no Brian, no, not in my niche, no way. My clients don't do that, Ryan. My clients would never shop me, Ryan. My clients don't know what the internet is, Ryan. I'm not kidding. I had a guy tell me his clients don't go on the internet. That's a real quote or something. <laughs> don't go on the internet. Not that they don't shop for insurance on the internet, they don't go on the internet, 2013. Okay. So to answer your question, uh, the industry, I think in the last six months to a year in particular, has really started to hit uh, widespread acceptance that these things are going to have to be part of our jobs. And there are some amazing agents starting to grab onto video in particular. Uh, Joey and Sydney and I are part of a, a Twitter hashtag, which may sound weird to some of you, called the 5AM Club. Basically, it's a bunch of people who work at 5 a.m. I have two young kids. The only time I can get anything done is from like 5 to 6.45 in the morning before they wake up. So we just, we all start, we just help each other. It's like 30 people that we're all up on Twitter and we're like, hey, how do you do this? Or hey, I published this. That group is growing and growing and they're all doing amazing work. They're spread out all over the country. There's 60 year old guys down to 24 year old producers who are bringing into the business. It's across the board. I think it's a mindset thing. I think people are waiting for permission for this to be okay. And I think that day has finally come. It's okay. Like your peers aren't going to ridicule you for creating video today, unless you're Ron. <laughs> but everybody else except for Ron, it's completely acceptable for you to start doing video, just not Ron. Um, so the answer, yes, there is there is absolutely something happening. You saw it in Elevate last year when you were there. 315 people came to Milwaukee and just crushed it. And uh, we're gonna do 700 in Cleveland, so you all should buy your tickets. 
If you're nice to me, I'll give you a discount. Okay. I know you want that discount. See me after. I'll give you a special code. Just give you a Packer ticket. Just for you guys. I'll sell them in packs of 10. Yes. Um, for all the videos, um, I know we talked about a lot of the positives of it. Any negatives? Any these guys know what he's talking about? I mean, you know, the negatives were. I'm just curious. I mean, yeah, no, it's a really good question. So the question is, we talked about all the positives of the work that I did. What are the negatives? Uh, the negatives are it for a period of time ravaged my relationship with my extended family because they were so diametrically opposed to what I was done that I eventually had to leave. You. I hate to say. Um, as far as outward, like people from outside the organization, I mean, I had some people say, like I had people, I had agents in the industry ridicule me for the, the hoodie video. I mean, it's a, it's a 60 second video where I'm wearing a hoodie and talking about some homeowner's insurance coverage. So it's not like it's a big deal, but I had people say you're unprofessional, you don't know what you're talking about. I've had a lot of people criticize me for my casual nature. I just don't give a shit. <laughs> so I make a YouTube video. Yes. And I get a brain fart. Yep. And I say something wrong yep. in the video. Absolutely wrong. Yep. Can you delete the yep. video? Yes, you can. You absolutely can. I would recommend rewatching your videos before you publish them. <laughs> uh, and, and I don't I don't say that to be to be snarky. I, you like really should because you want to make sure that if you're talking about this stuff that you're giving people good advice. I mean, before we publish a video, I might watch it two dozen times. And I'm not talking about I'm talking about marketing stuff, right? So it doesn't matter if I make a faux pas. But so just I would rewatch them. And if they're short, it's okay. Here's the other thing. It's completely okay to delete a video. You you create something and you just don't like the way it looks, just delete it. It's really hard to do. It's harder than you think it is to do because you feel ownership of it, right? Like you created this thing. Uh, it's okay to delete a video, it's perfectly fine. If you don't feel comfortable with it, hit delete. A couple things on creating video. Never, ever, ever guarantee anything. Nothing is ever always or never, okay? Nothing, and my wife and I have this conversation all the time, right? I don't never do the dishes. I don't always say stupid things. So um, maybe most of the time, so talk in generalities. So I'll give you an example. Uh, personal injury protection, right? Uh, I don't know if you guys have personal injury protection on auto, Pip, you don't? No, no. Um, uh, well, just to say a water loss, right? Don't say homeowner's insurance covers water from above. Because it, if, you know, if you have a, uh, an FO1 or an HO1, sorry, uh, it might not be covered. There are situations where maybe they purposely, they were up there working on their own roof and hammered a hole in the roof and maybe the carrier doesn't want to cover uh, rain where the person put the hole in the roof themselves on purpose. There are a million reasons why something may or may not happen, so just talk in generalities. Most of the time, on a standard HO3 policy, these major coverages happen. All, and then you can always put a little disclaimer at the end. You don't want to make it super official because it's a complete turnoff. Just say things like, Always consult an insurance professional before you make a decision about your insurance. They'll answer all your questions for you. They'll love to be that person. These type of little disclaimers, talking in generalities, they help you from boxing yourself into a hole. Never quote price on a video. That's just stupid. Um, right? Because you don't know. Prices change, things change. You know, tit doesn't always equal tat. So just talk in generalities, don't guarantee things. You're helping them understand the coverage. You're trying to create a relationship. You're trying to establish the fact that you know what you're talking about, and that's why they should pick up the phone and call you. That's what the video is about. 
So you keep those things square and you'll be fine. A couple ums and ahs, who cares? Let them roll, right? And now if you're stuttering and it's like obnoxious to watch the video, hit delete and do it again. That's completely fine. Well, my question was once you put it out there in cyberspace, which yes, you can delete off YouTube, no problem. You can also get it back off. Right? Truth? Truth. That's three truths. So when you would put it out to YouTube, would you then send it out via like your LinkedIn? Yes. And, and so, because otherwise you're just waiting for a Google search on homeowners. Amazing, amazing question. Or it was more of a statement, which makes it even more amazing. So the question slash statement was, uh, you put the video on YouTube, what next? You, you have to choose. Do you want to then take that video and put it on your website? Like, if, you know, embed it there. That sounds super technical. It's really not. Um, and drive people to your website. Or do you want to just send them to the YouTube channel? I would say do both. That's what I did. I would change the title up slightly on my website than what the title of the actual video is. That way you're kind of capturing different keyword terms. Again, I'm, I've opened up the nerd book a little bit. Um, and always make sure you have at least your phone number in the video. I, I would like to say it and have it on the video, but if putting it on the video in text is too much technical stuff for you at the beginning, just say it. Call me, 518-813-0754. 518-813-0754, call me. You don't call me, you can text me. I probably won't pick up your phone call at that much time. Um, no, I would always make sure my was in there because I don't care if you find me on YouTube or my website. Some people romanticize the website. It doesn't matter if you find me where, I don't care where you find me. As long as you pick up the phone and you call me, that's what's most important. So make sure that that contact information is in there and then try to get it in as many places as you can. And then, uh, and contextualize it a little bit. This is again, a, a little, this is maybe 201. So on LinkedIn, when you do the description of the video, that might be a little different than Facebook. On Facebook, it might be like, hey friends and family, this is the first video I've ever done, but you guys know I work in insurance and just, you know, this is important stuff. So if I'm not your region or I am, you know, just take a listen because it could be important to you. On LinkedIn, it might be more professional. It might be homeowners insurance is an important, you know, part of your financial plan. You know, just Again, and there's no right or wrong. It's just each, on Instagram, it's like, you know, barfing rainbow, unicorn, or that's Snapchat. Um, so, yes, that is, uh, that's a wonderful question. Other questions? Yes, sir, Ron? Are these generic, uh, the topics that you're doing, or are you individualizing some of these videos to specific people? I think that both is the answer to that. I would start generic, and then if you have a really good client who will let you use them as a reference, that is incredible social proof. So let's say, I'm gonna give you an example of this. We wrote, uh, there's, a, there's a liquor store in uh, the town of Bethlehem, which you do not need to know where that is. Bethlehem, New York? Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. Uh, you know, right? You know some people. We might know some people. <laughs> um, I, you know, I thought there was a thing between us. Oh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so there is a liquor store. It's actually Del Mar. I lied to you. Del Mar, uh, the Del Mar liquor it store. Is market, right? Yeah, definitely. That's 90% true. 90% uh, uh, is a stretch for this presentation, by the way. Um, uh, and she's well known, she's been there forever. She bought it from another guy, kept the name, but she's literally been, she's owned Delmar, uh, I'm forgetting her name, doesn't matter. 
uh, for 20 years. So we write her insurance, we have forever. We wanted to write more liquor stores. So I called her and I said, is it okay if I come in and I do like a quasi promo video where you tell me why you chose to work with the Murray Group for the last decade? So that's what I did. I walked in, I took some, I literally, it was my phone again. I didn't have a fancy camera. I literally took my phone and I like, I, you know, I did some cool shots of her liquor store and then a shot of her and I said, hey, will you just tell me why you use And she said, oh, you know, the service or whatever. Boom. So then that's a great video. I have a little bit and then I turned the camera around and said, you know, when you have a store like a liquor store, you gotta make sure your contents are covered because all that, all that stuff. And um, then I shared the crap out of it. Everyone who knew, knows or has ever been to Del Mar Liquor now is watching it because here's a video of a store that they go to. Everyone that know her watched it. Other liquor store owners watched it. And the question that I always get as a follow-up, and I know you're dying to ask, Ron, is did your other liquor store clients get mad that you did that for her and not for them? And the answer to that is no. We got five phone calls after we did that video, specifically referencing that video. Two were from current clients asking me if I would do a video for them, just like it. They didn't care that I had done one for her. They wanted their own video. Three of those of those people were people who we didn't do business that now wanted a quote from us because they saw that and we wrote two of them. No, I'm sorry. We wrote two of them. Um, so yeah, that's that's the whole deal. So the social proof, they saw, and, and she's well respected in the community, if she was doing business with us, then maybe they had missed something by not doing business with us. So I would take the, let's call it three hours worth of work, driving over there, doing the video, doing a little bit of editing, posting, worth two new liquor store accounts. So that, that's a positive ROI for me. Oh yeah. Yeah. What other questions do you guys have? Could, um, at lunch we were talking, or Cindy was saying, um, gave an example of that agency that was building a campaign around trucking and kind of what they uncovered. Would you be able to share that story yeah. with everybody? Yeah, Sid, come on up. <laughs> so this is Sydney Rowe. She is our director of brand engagement. Joey and I to shame on her on the video game on a weekly basis. So uh, I don't know about that. So I'll tell you the quick story of the trucking company. Uh, we met. How did we met Seth Zarel? How did we meet Seth? I met him at an Ohio State insurance event, and that's how we got into this. Okay. So this guy is doing incredible things with digital marketing. And not just digital marketing, but also bringing the digital side of things into the retention aspect of his business. Basically, he's um, he's working with a, an agency management system that actually, you know, a lot of agency management systems operate as sort of walled gardens, so you can't integrate with a lot of other systems and transfer data and then use that to contact your, your you know, customers for retention purposes. This guy's doing that, so he's blowing lines, all that to say. So I go out to his uh, agency, this was last week, he lives in Cleveland, Ohio, in this random, like we pull up his sign, you know, there's not even a sign on the door, you know, Joey was out there, right? So it, it's so weird, right? I mean, most of the agencies that I go to have this massive sign and you walk and you know, you go in and it's like everything's, you know, you can tell he spent a lot of money on it and he just clearly doesn't really care about that kind of stuff. So we go in and he, his marketing rep sits down with me, her name's Geralda, and she's explaining this marketing campaign. They want to go after truckers. So instead of uh, you know, sending out you know, call, cold calling truckers or maybe getting an email list and emailing them, he wanted to figure out a way to become a part of the community. 
He wanted to understand who his audience is and has been and will be. And so he had his marketing rep go out and do a ton of research, take time to understand who they are, read the content that they're reading, join the Facebook groups that they're a part of, watch the videos on YouTube that they watch. And what she found out is that there's a blogger who sort of is the, the leader of this community. Because one thing you gotta know about truckers is they're sort of an isolated group. Like it's not many of us who could relate to somebody who drives 10 hours and knows all the weird stuff that happens in, in that world, right? With those experiences. <coughs> and so she got to know who these people were. She got to know who the leaders of the community were. And she reached out to them and had conversations with them and said, hey, we want to you know, help you guys. We want to bring value to your community. How can we do that? How can we work together? And what she learned is that, this is so weird, stretching, stick with me, <laughs> stretching is a really big deal for truckers. Because when they go to rest stops, they don't just go in and you know, walk around and buy some you know, Red Bulls, right? They actually have like stretching strategies that they go through these like I don't even know what they're called right and so essentially these zinc insurance went to a health clinic down the road had a professional you know doctor and nurse walk through a series of stretches did a video on that and then worked with the leader of this blog this community you know they built to to market this campaign and the, it blew up. I mean, all the truckers were like, who is this guy? This is awesome. The video content, you know, the quality was amazing. The information was amazing because it was coming from a professional. I mean, just absolutely, absolutely awesome. So I think, I mean, that was just, don't necessarily go out and make videos about stretching. But yeah, it was, it was a cool game. Thank you. super shy too so that was like a big stretch for him. Um, so we we have maybe like I don't, I, mean, I don't know what four o'clock is the official shut off I, I don't have anywhere to go so I'll stay as long as you want to but um, uh, I do want to tell you I do want to share just two more things uh, I want to piggyback off Sid's story and tell you about insuremyfoodtruck.com has anyone ever heard of insuremyfoodtruck.com okay a couple people so for those of you who haven't, um, insuremyfoodtruck.com is actually an independent insurance agency called Bay Risk Insurance Solutions, just outside of San Francisco. By all accounts, just the cliche agency, brick building, on a main road, three principals, they did like two and a half million in business, and were basically a generalist agency, yeah, 60, 40, 50, 50, something like that. So, uh, there, bless you. One of their principles, uh, this is four years ago now, one of their principles by the name of Denny Christner, 37 years old at the time, is a foodie. And in San Francisco, food trucks are gourmet. Where I'm from, they give you the runs. But that being outside the point, you know, you've been to them. So, uh, so, food trucks at this time were not what they were today, right? One, no carriers would write them, right? At this, at this time, this is five years ago. Now it's a little more, I don't know what you guys write, I'm not familiar with that, that's all right, we'll get to know each other. I got something to sell you too. So, um, they, but but in San Francisco, this is where the, the movement was really starting. And Denny would go down and they'd have, they'd all get in one spot. I mean, just like they do today. Now we're pretty familiar with the culture of it. Uh, when I first started telling the story, people didn't really understand. So, 
then he would eat there. And as we do, right, you bump into someone enough times, you have to ask them for their insurance. So he asked one of the food truck guys, and the guy let him quote his insurance. And he realized that at that time in California, there were only two carriers that would write food truck insurance, and both of them were excess lines. So he, gosh, I gotta move this. I can't move this. So, he starts talking to these guys, and he's like, well, who's the player in this space? Who's writing all the food trucks? And they're like, there really isn't anybody. So he went back. Oh, that's, oh you didn't have to do that. I would have been fine. Um, I'd like to believe that I could beat the tripod in a fight. But, um, so, I, so Denny goes out, and he does this, and he's like, you know what, if there's no one killing this space, and I love these things, and there's tons of food trucks all over more every day, I want to be the guy. I want to be the player in the space. So he sets out to be the food truck guy. And he uh, takes an FTE, from, uh, a CSR, a full-time person from his office, peels her off, and he is going to go after food trucks, and he's going to take this uh, CSR, and the two of them are going to build this book. Cool. One year goes by, Denny, net zero in revenue. Spent a boatload, made that same amount back. How many of you love programs that net you zero dollars at the end of the day? Well, his partners didn't love that either. So uh, Denny was very frustrated and, uh, in his words, flabbergasted. And he, he couldn't figure it out. Why wasn't this working? Well, uh, the answer is food truck operators are really hard to do business with. Because most of the time, they are also the cook, right? So when they're not, when they're not uh, prepping food, they're serving breakfast. When they're done serving breakfast, they're cleaning up, and then they're prepping again for lunch, and then they're moving the truck, and then they're prepping, and they're cleaning, and they're prepping, and they're cleaning, and they're moving the truck. Eventually, they count the money, and then they go to sleep. At no point in there do they want you to knock on the side of the truck and say, hey, who does your insurance? So after a year of, of really just struggling, um, Denny starts a handle on Twitter called Insure My Food Truck. He's just running out of options, looking for things to do. And he just starts tweeting at these guys. Not like, hey, buy insurance from me. Just, you know, my, you know, Johnny's Fish Tacos are my favorite fish tacos. And he started doing reviews and talking to them and just, just literally becoming part of the community. Um, just like what Zinc Insurance did with uh, this stretching thing and the truckers. And he had, after one month of just being part of the community, just talking the talks, you know, being in the places, he was live tweeting these events. He'd be like tweeting out from his hashtag, man, this place is hopping, you gotta try out Johnny's, gotta try out Sally's, you know, whatever. He started having food, uh, food truck operators email him and say, hey, I wanna make, I gotta make a change to my coverage. <coughs> these weren't his clients. These guys didn't know that he wasn't their insurance agent. <laughs> he was such a part of their community on Twitter that they just believed that he was, how could he not be their guy, right? <laughs> One year after that, two years in, Denny netted $177,000 in revenue in food truck business. The year after that, he put $376,000 on. I know, I know there are many other players in the market today, but there was a time when he was absolutely unbeatable in the food truck space, and it has everything to do with the fact that he became part of their community and nothing to do with Twitter. The point is not Twitter. The point is he got to know these people so well that they just wanted to do business with them. And once he got their attention and their time, he knocked them down just like he did any other account. So my point in that is saying this stuff that we talk about digital, you can read the tactics and learn the tactics anywhere. 
right? There are plenty of places. Agency Nation, we have tons of articles that'll show you how to do it, it's great, it's awesome. There, there are thousands of other places you can learn how to do this stuff. None of it is as important as understanding. Just a couple things. This is about generating attention, right? That's all it's about. You just want them to trust you enough that they'll give you the time, and then you have to do your job like you've always done. There's no magic pill, there's no secret sauce, right? This is about selling insurance and your value proposition, which is the fact that you're a human being. No website can duplicate that, that value. The fact that you can make a human connection with your clients and that there is a level of trust and respect developed in that space. Now I know you're gonna read a lot of stories in the next three to five years, next three to five minutes about you know, this new insured tech, that new carrier going D to C, I think, it's, uh, I think it's some really interesting attempts at some very fancy technology, some of which will be integrated into our channel, and they'll carve out their little piece of the market. But at the end of the day, we still have the best product by far, and if as an industry we can embrace the fact that digital marketing works, but it works as a way to generate interest and attention to us as humans, we can't be beat. We just can't be beat. I would like to believe that every single one of you believes that you can't, that a website is not better at selling insurance than you are. I believe that. But I also know for a fact that you cannot sustain long term without embracing some aspect of digital. Some aspect of it. Just to be in the space to generate the attention. There's too many people shifting there. I think you can go for a little while. I think, it, I think you could get by, especially if you build great relationships. I'm sure you can coast into the horizon. But if you're looking to grow or you're looking to sustain, I don't see a scenario where not having some aspect of this work in your business is part of it. It can be as simple as video proposals, right? Joey did a great video the other day or podcast, some piece of great content around video proposals. That's digital marketing. It's not maybe what you would think of, but doing a video proposal for someone is digital marketing. It's a great follow-up. Maybe it's doing some videos that you just email to people. You never actually put them, you know, publish them a lot, but you just email them as follow-ups. Whatever way, shape, or form works for you, embrace it, understand it's about generating attention, and ultimately getting them to spend time with you. And then you just have to do your job. So I will step down off my soapbox and answer any questions that you have. Yes, sir. This, like Christina, is more of a testimonial. Uh, you started talking about face-to-face -face yep. and creating the attention for yourself. Obviously, you can do that with videos, and you've been talking about that. Um, the problem I have, like a few other people in this room, is I'm old. Uh, Experience. The thing that I can say is to the client I'm talking to, uh, for example, a, uh, a young millennial who's in the... Um, real estate and he sends me referrals he tells them that oh this is a friend of my dad's well so what's that going to tell him oh then he must be old peter is the guy that's doing this and uh so i'll talk to him on the phone i'll explain how we got 25 personal lines carriers and yeah yeah i don't sell in price alone i want coverage to be there when you have one so that's that's fine and then when i say but when i get back to you in my top couple quotes I want to meet with you. And they're, what? Because yeah. they've already gone to the green frog or the lizard or the, you know, they, they've, the heard, they've seen the white goose, they know, and they don't even know that Snoopy's unemployed now and would love to get together with him. Yeah. But I'm saying, I'm not gonna do it unless I get together with you. So 
in this uh, kind of case, yeah, I wear a tie pretty often, but uh, for this one particular couple, I met them. I opened the door for mom when she came in with a baby. Uh, they sat down with me. I met them at the Petted Ice Center. Yes, I was wearing a tie, but I was wearing a Fred Thomas bold tie. Nice. With a bright blue shirt. Oh, power ties don't count in everything I said. <laughs> so it was the face-to-face, -face and I explained things to them, personal package, and, and uh, they said, well, you know, the next day, uh, you had the best ideas, you showed us the most attention, you explained things better than anybody, and I don't think we would have gotten that because we got Geico quotes and we yeah. got State Farm quotes. But uh, it was, again, it was creating the, the attention and the face-to-face -face yeah. and uh, I think the business. Here's what I think on that. I think that that is absolutely phenomenal and you should absolutely still continue to do that in every scenario where it makes sense. My advice, uh, in a general sense, not to you specifically, but just in a general sense would be, I think that, why couldn't you do that? Why couldn't you, if, they, if so if it were me, I'm busy as hell. Not that you're not busy, but I am. I have two little tiny kids, and I work a ton. So if you said, I have to come meet with you, I would say, could we please do it over the phone? And if you said no, I would say, I'm sorry, I'm gonna go someplace else. Not that I don't want, I would, because I would trust you, the same, you say all the same things over the phone to me, and I would still trust you, I would. Maybe they wouldn't, or someone else wouldn't. So all I'm saying is, I don't think, I think that, you just, it's its about working in the space in which that person is willing to give you trust. Does that make sense? So for some people, they want that face-to-face. -face. They want that. And it's 100% important. And for other people, like for me, I would be willing to trust you 100% over the phone. Because I'm probably gonna be in between two phone calls for work, I have 20 minutes, but, but it doesn't mean I respect you as a professional any less, or the advice you're giving me, or any of it. I just am completely willing to give you my attention and trust over the phone. So, but if you demanded I meet you in person, I would respectfully decline and find someone else. And that's, and that's just me. I'm saying it's just having a tool belt full of tools and being willing to work in the spaces that you feel most comfortable. So maybe text message, you're not, you're not comfortable. Hey man, if, if you're only willing to text, I wish you nothing but the best. I will, I'm happy to work with you, but for me, it's phone or in person. I can't do text, I'm just not comfortable giving you advice there. That's completely fine. It's just, I think, as many tools as you're willing to have. And uh, otherwise, I think it's limiting. That, that's my advice. I don't, I don't know that it's... it's... And the thing that factors in there, what is the referral source? Yes. Where you get it from? 100% agree. If it's personal, I yep. use that line all the time. Yep. If I get somebody I think is on the 15th caller that they call looking for something, I'm not gonna use that one. Yes. Yeah, I think I think it depends on where they're coming from, what they're looking for, what their disposition is. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of factors that go into it. I guess uh, I, just coming from my own experience with my father-in-law, in which, um, and again, he doesn't need to grow the business any, any more than it is. He's very comfortable and happy, and it's all good in the hood. But he could add two or three points of growth easy, because he's the best salesman I've ever met in my entire life by far. No offense to anyone in here, he would put us all to shame. He's amazing. He, he loses two to three points and growth on a $3 million book of business because he will only sell in person. He does. If he would do it over phone, he would kill twice as much business. He just would. He's, he's just that good. He has all the stories, top to bottom. He does them. He's amazing. 
He's super disarming, and he can do it over the phone. He just doesn't want to. So that's my thing. It's, it's all, what do you want, right? And the other part is you could say, screw it. I don't really like selling in person, and I'm cool giving a point or two away in sales because for no phones. I'll just do phone meetings. And that is also all good. There's no judgment. It's just, you know, there's certain, certain realities. If you're only doing face-to-face, -face, you can only grow so fast because it's not scalable. That doesn't mean it's wrong. Cool. Any other questions? Yes. What platform are you seeing being used for giving proposals? Uh, use Loom is one, and then there is actually a website provider called Advisory Vault, which has a built-in, which works really well, but you have to buy their website, which is more expensive. Use Loom is what I would try first, and uh, it's like a monthly fee, 50 bucks or whatever, and it allows you to do it. That, that's Any other questions before we're done? Otherwise, it's been my absolute pleasure to speak with you guys today. I've done a lot, but I ain't got a lot.